The Miami Heat split their games this past weekend, a win against the Clippers, a loss, an OT loss against the Raptors, and we'll give you our takeaways from both of those games before getting Nostradamus to give us his predictions for the four games Miami will play this week, and then we'll debate if the Heat have a problem finding scoring and clutch situations, all that and more coming up next. You are locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. It's a Monday edition of Locked On Heat. However, you may be listening on YouTube, Odyssey, or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. I'm David Ramil, and with me as always is my co-host, Wes Goldberg. It's been a while. At least it feels like it has. A lot has happened since then. Just as we talked about in an episode last week, Miami went 2-1 and one over the last three games from last week. They beat the Knicks. They wound up beating the Los Angeles Clippers, who I saw as a big X factor as they managed yet another late game comeback, but Miami was able to hold them off. And then the Heat had a thrilling triple overtime loss against the Toronto Raptors on Saturday night. We'll talk about those games. Rather than recapping all of it, we just want to give you some takeaways, particularly from the Raptors game, because I think that's the one that a lot of Heat fans have most interested in. And then, of course, later on in the show, we'll get into our predictions from Nostradamus, and then I'll launch into my Monday Madness about why some national media coverage has been a little bit wonky lately. And anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Of course, we also have some big questions about Jimmy Butler and other Heat players in clutch situations. But let's start off with our takeaways from this weekend's games, particularly the Raptors game, Wes. Again, a thrilling game. So many incredible performances there. Ultimately, Miami wound up falling short. What were some of your takeaways, or one in particular, from that game? Well, first of all, just want to give a shout out to Jimmy Butler. 37 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. I'm not breaking news here, but he's awesome. And he's I, just good, love, yeah. I love watching Jimmy Butler play. Uh, he plays basketball like he's playing football. Uh, I think it was Eric Reed or something keeps calling it the running game, just the way that yeah. he gets downhill. Um, and it's a perfect it's a perfect illustration of uh, and description of how he plays. And you just... There's not a lot of players in the league like Jimmy Butler. I don't know that there's another guy who could score the way that he scores and can be considered one of the best 10 players in the NBA and basically just ignore the three-point line. I know he took Mm. five three-point attempts against Toronto. Um, Not all of those were within the flow of the offense. A couple of them were forced. He made one of them from the corner, which was nice. Uh, But basically making a career with by shunning the three-point line and still doing what he's been able to do, the triple-double stuff, he's going to obviously run away with this – the, the Heat franchise record with this. He already has it. He's going to run away with it. Uh, so he's great. Just wanted to give a shout out to him. But Gabe Vincent, man, 17 points, 6 for 15 shooting against the Raptors, 5 for 12 from three-point range. This on the heels of a killer performance against the Clippers in which he made seven threes. He's been shooting awesome lately. He's been starting in place of Kyle Lowry over the last seven games as Lowry still uh, out uh, away from the team dealing with personal uh, family reasons. But uh, a shame that that game could have ended on a Gabe Vincent game winner running three pointer had it not been for Eric Spolster's timeout. Now I don't really, I don't find it all that interesting that that conversation. Oh man, should Spo have called the timeout in that situation? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Timeout in that situation, of course. Yeah, hundred times. Uh, and it was just a fluky thing. Spo after yeah. the game kind of you know took it on the chin. It's like, yeah, you know the coach got in the way this time. I understand he's saying that Gabe Vincent to me. You just would have loved to see him have that moment, wouldn't you? Sure. Like sure. the the look of confusion on his face when that when he was like kind of looking around, he's like, "Why isn't everybody celebrating with me?" That was that right. was awesome, right? And everybody's right. like, "Yeah, it was," but it didn't count. And he's like, "Oh, nuts! That sucks." But yeah, um, 
But just to kind of zoom out on it, David, I mean, Gavinson over the last seven games, starting in place of Kyle Lowry, 14.1 points on 43.4% shooting from three-point range, uh, 4.9 assists, two rebounds, and 1.4 steals per game. My big takeaway, in games against the Clippers that had uh, you know a big-time atmosphere, a lot of these games right. over the seven-game stretch playoff-like atmosphere, and certainly – against the Raptors, a huge, uh, very much a playoff-like atmosphere with a lot of physical demands on their body. Gabe Vincent, in particular, playing 45 minutes on the second night of a, tr- uh, of a back-to-back. He's ready for real minutes. Not just minutes in the regular season, David. Right. Minutes in the postseason. I think we're kind of wondering, all right, which one of these developmental guys are ready to con- – can they really contribute in a playoff type of atmosphere? No right. doubt, Gabe Vincent's ready for that. Yeah, uh, I think that's a a great point. I think we debated that in a recent episode. I want to say maybe like two, three weeks ago, although some of these have tended to blend a little bit. I think it might have been a mailbag and we were looking at this roster and the, the, you know, all of a sudden this team proving how deep they are, in fact, and wondering whether the minutes in the playoff rotation would come down to, you know, Gabe Vincent or Max Struess or Mm -hmm. Caleb Martin, all of them making strong cases for themselves. It's going to be hard for Eric Spolster to decide that, but I think Vincent certainly has cleared his way as far as uh being among the well maybe you know martin has it uh, he's got yeah. a pretty strong case too it's it's tough look they're all it's, deserving i like that vincent is standing out as a backup point guard because i think a lot of people looked at this team and wondered do they have a capable backup point guard is that role falling on victor oladipo when he eventually returns to health is it even really important uh because now you know you've got the ball handling ability of jimmy butler bam Adebayo, et cetera, tyler hero to some extent but I think Vincent's established himself. But I did want to. I do want to pump some brakes here because people are saying, "Is this the best backup point guard in Heat history?" And we had Goran Dragic on this roster a couple of years ago, so I don't think that's quite. You know that I don't think Vincent's quite. Yeah, there people yet. don't really think of Goran Dragic as a backup point guard, but technically he was. And yeah. so, yeah, I think you have a point. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not all that interested in that. Like, I don't right. care if he's the best backup point guard in Heat history. <laughs> like, that. What does that matter? What I care about is that he should be the backup point guard. Every single night oh. getting regular minutes because I'm talking about I know we're talking about playoff minutes right now, but let's remember before Lowry uh, left the team for a little while here. Gabe Vincent was out of the rotation, right? Yeah. When the team was healthy, Gabe Vincent was out of the rotation. He was sort of your odd man out and you found minutes for Struess. You found minutes for Caleb Martin. I do think Gabe Vincent now and I'm try- I don't want to be so I don't want to be too prisoner of the moment here because he's playing much better than guys. Even Caleb and Max have been fine. But Gabe Vincent's on another level right now. And I'm, right. I don't want to be too uh, biased uh, just based on the seven-game sample. But um, what he gives them from a shot creation standpoint, from a playmaking standpoint, defensively, he's as good as yes. any of them, if not better, uh, when I'm That's talking, fair. you know, of, the, of that trio. Right. Um, and offensively, he does something very key that those guys don't do. Caleb Martin's not creating shots for other people. Max Drews right. is not creating shots for other people. They need right. other people to create shots for them, for the most part. Gabe Vincent can go ahead and just create shot. I asked him uh, when we posted the interview with him on Friday, and I was talking about that shot he had against the Lakers. You know, the Heat have been telling him, hey, we need you to be more of a, of a one, more of a, a, a traditional type of playmaking point guard, getting guys involved, facilitating. And that kind of went against his natural instincts, but he still has that. Like, laying yeah. dormant in him is that instinct to be like, you know what, I'm just going to go get myself a bucket right now. And there have been yeah. moments where we've seen that here and there. And I, I just, I, as he continues to find the balance of that, because there's still some times where he might be, he should be doing one way, he should be doing the where, where he's doing the other. But as he continues to grow and find the balance with that, I don't know. I just think that he, he's got an ability that the, those guys don't. And so maybe it is worth saying that 
of those three, worth asking, of those three, should Gabe Vincent be getting the lion's share of the minutes? Should they be finding time for him as opposed to Kayla Martin and Max Struess when everybody is healthy? It's a constantly evolving question because I think yes. even last week we're talking about Caleb Martin and his defensive abilities to be able to lock down, to be able to guard De'Aaron Fox or Steph Curry within a week's period. Uh, and that kind of skewed our perspective to some degree. It's not necessarily a prisoner of the moment, but we're seeing a player come into his own at just the right opportunity and making the most of those opportunities. And so it's a natural question, I think. But and we'll we're see seeing how kind of that. new layers to their game. Right. No, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, and look, I, I also want to mention, too, uh, for our YouTube audience that doesn't know exactly what Wes is referring to, we recorded interviews with Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin, but mm -hmm. because there was, you know, those were audio interviews only, there is no YouTube video, so make sure you go check those out by subscribing to our podcast as well. But I do have some takeaways of my own, and one of those is the, well, I wouldn't say the matchup, but the comparison of Bam and Abayo versus Pascal Siakam, because I think that was certainly one of the more interesting ones from a really, really great game in general, was seeing Bam Adebayo, I hate to say shrink in the moment, but not necessarily be as aggressive as we've seen him be in the past. And to when I was watching this game, I'm looking at Siakam, and he's a lot more like Butler in the regards where he's getting that ball at the elbow or outside of the perimeter, and he's initiating right away. He takes a second there, kind of to survey the defense and what's required of him, and he attacks. He attacks, he attacks, he attacks. And he's either going to get to the rim and get to the bucket because he's that long and that athletic and that rangy, or he's going to draw a foul. Guess who else does that? Jimmy Butler. Guess who doesn't do that? Bam Adebayo. And I hate piling on him because we've gone through this in so many different forms and iterations over the last couple of years of whether or not Bam is aggressive or not aggressive enough. And we've seen moments from him. He could have done more against the Raptors. And I don't think there's anything there on that Raptors defense that were particularly challenging him other than whatever limitations he's imposed on himself. He's just holding the ball for far too long. And I know part of it is because he's a damn playmaker. That's who he is. And that's Great. That's what makes Bam so unique. But he has to be able, if there's going to be a next step for him to reach his evolution of being, in my opinion, the best center of the game, it's going to be because he has to be able to be more aggressive offensively and create a shot for himself. Outcome be damned. Like we saw him have, I don't even know, six turnovers yesterday anyway. Being passive. Why not just be aggressive and force the issue? Put the the make the referees have to make a decision one way or the other. And so to me, that comparison was one that was really striking. And I think Siakam, as good as Bam has been this year, and I'm not knocking him whatsoever, I think Siakam is more deserving of an all-star selection. If you're just looking at these two players in a vacuum, yeah. I think Siakam has been the better player than the two. But anyway, well, Bam uh, also, oh, Bam's also missed 22 games. That matters. But you know, yeah. Bam went to the line. He took seven free throw attempts. Uh, Siakam only took six in that game, but. Yeah. Uh, the eye test, you're right. And look, you're, look, you're right. Bam Adebayo could have been more aggressive. To me, this was a big man struggling on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, a guy who has missed a bunch of games with an injury. Maybe his conditioning isn't right where it should be uh, or typically is. And so to me, I was watching that game. I was like, this dude is tired. Like in the fourth, like That's midway fair. through the first quarter, I'm like, this dude is laboring already. And I'm sure he didn't expect this game to go to triple overtime. So, yeah. but you're right. Like that's an interesting dichotomy too, because Raptors fans for a while, they were like, Pascal Siakam's too aggressive. He thinks he's one of the best 15 players in the NBA, and he's acting like it. He's playing like yeah. it. He thinks he should be shooting 25 times a game. Can they? Can he rein it back a little bit and be more of a playmaker, more of a team guy? And it's sort of the opposite of with that with Bam and Heat fans. Heat fans want him to just be more aggressive all the time and not play make so much. But 
you're right. It is a part of his game. It's a part of his offense. How the, the big question with Bam going forward is, is he going to end up being more Draymond Green, right? Kind yeah. of skeleton key, everything on defense. Yeah. One of the best defenders in the NBA, if not the best defender in the NBA, who's a playmaker, mismatch guy in those situations. Or does he end up being more Nikola Jokic, dominating, finding his spots on the court? It'll take a while to balance playmaking with getting your own shot, just like it did with Jokic. But that's the big question. Bam's got a crossroads. By the way, I think the Heat would, when they drafted Bam out of Kentucky in the, at the end of the lottery, if you would have said, hey, he's either going to be Draymond Green or Nikola Jokic, they would have been like, great, we'll be fine with the other outcome. By the way, Pat Riley compared Bam to Draymond Green at, you know, days after he drafted him. This is yeah. how they view him. Jimmy Butler is the guy going out and getting 37 points a night. He's the guy that's the aggressor. And maybe Bam could add more of that to his game, but... Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll say, look, interesting. with a Draymond comparison, that's fine. Like, there, there's certainly similarities there, and I totally get that. But Draymond looks a lot better playing alongside Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, et cetera. I, I look, it's not a knock on Draymond. You know how I feel about Draymond. I think he's a great Bam is player. much more skilled and talented offensively than Draymond ever was. Absolutely. No doubt about it. To your yeah. point. And, no, and, exactly. Yeah. And he's more of a mindset able- thing. Yes. Like, like, there was a moment there where he's, like, this close to a rim in a close game, and he's, like, swinging the ball out. 20 feet to find Jimmy Butler from the three-point line. And and Jimmy winds up passing it to, I can't even recall who at this point, because I'm just thinking you're right there. And it's not like you had a defender on you, or even if you do, dunk over him, draw the foul. They're not going to block your shot, but at least try it. Like I don't I don't think the, the shot by Jimmy in the corner is the look that Bam needs to go for in that particular scenario. This is when they were mounting their comeback. And right. yes, they wound up finishing that comeback. They wound up tying the game and going into overtime, et cetera. But just different things could have played out differently. But I will move on and wrap up the segment by saying my last takeaway from this particular game is that this is a really fun matchup between these two teams. A lot of great similarities in the way they move the ball. Those tall, rangy players. Uh, once Kyle comes back, an element of drama that we did not see over the last game or so. But, I mean, I know he. Uh, I think Van Vliet was actually missing the previous game. But Lowry against the Raptors would be fun in a playoff mm-hmm. series. I said this last week. I think I want to reiterate that now just because we had that triple overtime game. And, yes, I don't want every game to trip, be triple overtime, but this would be a fun series. If this is a one versus eight matchup in the playoffs or a two versus seven or even a three versus six, this would be really, really fun, really, really interesting. Two great coaches, a lot of great players, championship experience on both sides of the ball there. I just love the way these two teams attack. They play different pace, perhaps, from the Raptors, much more transition-based, much more looking to push the ball up as quickly as possible. But Miami certainly has elements of that as well. They thrive in that kind of offense. So to see these two teams match up and with all the switching, the constant switching on defense, man, tell me that wasn't a fun game and that you wouldn't want to see this seven times in a seven-game series. No doubt. No doubt. You mentioned the coaches, maybe the two best coaches in the league on the sidelines last night, right? That's fair. That's um, fair. And, and you're absolutely right with the style of play, the constant adjustments that both of these coaches can make, the talent that's on both sides, um, just and the fact that both of these teams uh, succeed overwhelmingly with player development, right? I mean, you're talking also about one of the two best player development programs in the NBA as well. No doubt about it. It would be a fun series. All right. We'll talk about uh, our predictions for this week's action in the next segment. But first, just a reminder that if you've made resolutions this year, and if you're looking to keep to those resolutions, if they happen to be about losing weight or eating more healthy, then Built Bar is the protein bar for you. It tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. They're soft, easy to chew, 100% covered in chocolate. Just great, great flavor. So many different flavors to choose from. You can get a mixed box with all of your favorites. Keep some for yourself. Give some out to coworkers, friends, or family. So many different options. But 
You can take advantage of the best offer on the market right now. If you go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your order. But only if you go to built.com, you can get 15% off your next order of built bars by using the promo code LOCK15 at built.com. All right. Thank you for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. We'll have a ton of trade deadline content coming up over the next couple of weeks. And the Locked on NBA Network will be hosting a live draft show the day of the trade dead, or trade show the day of the trade deadline. So make sure to tune in to that. All right. It is time for Nostradamus. We make predictions for the week of Miami Heat games. David, let's start with our first game. Yeah. On Monday... The Heat will travel to Boston to take on the Celtics. And so, Wes, I'm sorry, Nostradamus, I have a question for you about that game. Who will make a greater case as being an all-star reserve, Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum? This is a good question. So, Jimmy Butler is, first of all, questionable right now with a right ankle sprain for that game. I don't know whether or not Jimmy Butler will play or not, but my sense is that he will. I don't think that I, I think Jimmy Butler is tr- he tries almost always to play through these kinds uh, of injuries. We saw this the last time he sort of reaggravated the sprain that he just went out there and, and, and played. So if he plays, this is a really really good matchup. Tatum over the last four games: thirty-eight points, twenty points, thirty-six points, fifty-one points. Jimmy Butler in his last four games. 37 points, 26 points, 22 points, and 20 points. Not the same point total as Jason Tatum, but certainly doing more from a, a playmaking and a defensive um, uh, on the defensive end. And that's why it's yeah. such an interesting matchup. So first of all, for what it's worth, I think both of these guys get in as all-star reserves. There you go, but yeah. the big question is, who gets named the starter when, if and when they have to replace Kevin Durant in that front court? And so I have a feeling this goes to Jimmy Butler overall just because i think that uh the coaches will reward the team with the better record coaches tend to just think that way that said in this game i don't know i know he's coming in with a bum right ankle i still like jimmy butler's chances here they held jason tatum the first time that these two teams played to just 10 points tatum has gotten much better since then he kind of started the season a little slow but i like i like miami's defense in this matchup i like the way they match up against the celtics and i like jimmy butler to have another big game, and maybe to slow down Tatum a little bit. You know, 52 minutes against the Raptors on Saturday, I hope he does not play, to be 100% honest with you. Like, I know mm-hmm. that he does, he does tend to play through these injuries, but I don't want this to be further aggravated and to see something pile up over the course of the season. Like, his health needs to be the, the most important issue here, not all-star consideration or anything like that. To your point, however, I agree with you. Uh, that there's a good scenario in which both of them enter there. And they're just different players. Uh, as far as yeah. the starting nod, I don't know about Jimmy Butler getting the starting nod over Jason Tatum, but it's a good question. We'll have to see how it plays out. We'll find out soon enough, right? Later on this week, the, the All-Star Reserves will be announced publicly. And, of course, we'll bring that to you. But the next game that the Miami Heat play, well, hey, they take on the Toronto Raptors yet again in Tuesday, on Tuesday in Toronto this time. Probably no Kyle Lowry for that matchup either. But that begs the question, however of which Tyler Hero will we see against the Raptors on Tuesday? Well, we got two different Tyler Heroes over the last few days in these constant matchups with the Raptors. On January 17th in the win, 23 points on 8 for 16 shooting. This weekend in that loss, 13 points on 5 for 22 shooting. Look, I think we get 
the former version of Tyler Hero, the one that could score 20 plus points, look like the sixth man of the year favorite and all those things, because what it's worth, I actually like the looks Tyler Hero got at the uh, in that Raptors oh, game definitely. they played Saturday. They were open looks. It wasn't as if this was a situation where Tyler was having a problem with Toronto's length. That gives a lot of ball handlers, uh, smaller you know type of ball handlers like Tyler Hero. They give a lot of those guys issues across the NBA. To me, yeah. that wasn't the problem with Tyler. I actually really liked how Tyler was finding space for himself. He was getting into his bag with the side steps, the step backs. He was getting into those mid range areas. He was he was going to that quick first step whenever he had an opportunity to uh, an opportunity yeah. to. He was avoiding the the sidelines where the Raptors like to switch and trap guys. He was avoiding that. He was playing more towards the middle of the floor. I really liked Tyler Hero's floor game. It just he, he was he was laughing at himself by the end when he missed that wide open three that he created for himself. He's like, I can't get anything to go in. I think right. that changes. I think those shots start going in on Tuesday. I have to agree with you there. Like, I, I don't even know at what point it was, but the, the end of the fourth or you know one of the three of the overtimes. Times. But it, it was like this this floater that we've seen him hit a yes. billion times. Yeah, and it was like it felt like two feet short. Like it was just. Yeah. He didn't have any oomph in it. And again, maybe it was the second night of a back-to-back, but something was missing there. This is not the version of Tyler that we've come to see so regularly over the course of the season. Uh, and I agree with you that I think we'll see a better version of him. But the next game after the next Toronto game. Raptors rematch, yeah. Uh, Thursday, the San Antonio Spurs, the game that was canceled when Miami kicked off that seven-game road trip uh, an eternity ago, that game was postponed because of health and safety protocols. So many teams, so many players on the roster unavailable. Of course, Kyle Guy not able to travel quickly enough to join the roster in time to play that. But now that this game is being replayed, or, or now it's being taken, you know, taken advantage of here, who wins the battle of points in the paint? The Heat or the Spurs, Nostradamus? Well, the Spurs are second in the NBA in points in, in the paint scored per game at 53.8. The Heat rank first in preventing points in the paint. They allow just 39.7 per game. So is it going to be more of Miami shutting it down, or is it going to be more of the Spurs getting to the bucket whenever they want, as they have for most of the season? It really comes down to whether or not Miami could stop Jakob Pertl and DeJounte Murray and Keldon Johnson. Those are the three guys for them who lead the Spurs in points in the paint. So this is going to be, to me, a big game for Bam Adebayo. Can Bam limit Yaka Pertle at the basket and then get out and crowd the space of guys like Keldon Johnson when he's trying to uh, drive and attack the basket and guys like DeJounte Murray who have made a bit of an all-star case themselves himself uh, in the lead-up to these votes. So I, I think this is going to be a really big game for Bam. I think it's going to be a big game for Miami switching style defense and things like that. And I actually like... Miami's chances to limit the San Antonio Spurs points in the paint. I, I like how San Antonio is dedicated to getting to the basket, but you know, for the most part, that's coming against teams that don't rank first in the league in points in the paint defense like the Heat do. So I just I, I like I like the defense over the offense in this matchup. Yeah, good point. All right. We'll wrap up our segment here with our last question: a Saturday night matchup where the Heat travel to the Charlotte Hornets. Then everybody on Charlotte, who has the bigger night here? Caleb or Cody Martin, the matchup of the two twins. So Cody's starting right now for Charlotte while uh, Kelly Oubre is out. Caleb's still getting minutes, not starting, but could be starting depending on how this Jimmy Butler ankle situation turns out. So who knows? We could get a Cody versus Caleb starting lineup uh, to start this game. But both are having career years, the two twins. Cody is averaging 8.1 points per game on 46 points, uh, 46% shooting. 43% from three-point range, 4.3 rebounds, and 2.7 assists. 
Caleb Martin, 9.3 points per game on 50.5% shooting, 37% from three, four rebounds and an assist per game. Um, I don't really know who has the bigger night. Both of these guys have been playing awesome for their respective teams. It depends on who's getting more minutes. It could be either one. I like Caleb with the the averaging more points and a higher efficiency, but Cody's been crushing it from three-point range better than even his twin brother, Caleb, who we've talked about that three-point shot being a revelation for him too. I don't know who's going to outplay the other one. I don't really care. I'm just looking forward to the matchup. Yeah, the first time they've ever played against each other, right? Especially at the professional level, certainly, but even at the collegiate level, they've always been teammates uh, from UNLV and everything, every every other school they played at. So that, this is going to be a first for them. It's going to be interesting. I'm sure it's going to be a much-talked-about story. But uh, something else that's being talked about a lot is the Miami Heat and their inability to find just the right amount of scoring in clutch situations. Something we'll talk about our ne- in our next segment, so stay tuned here on Locked on Heat. Just a reminder that you can always reach us via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and as always, leave a review. You can do that on Spotify as well. So many different places you can find our show. Make sure you subscribe to all of them. Why not? Uh, It's Monday, which means that it's time to start off your week on just a little bit of a bad note. That means it's time for Monday Madness. That's right, where I rant a little bit about a current issue regarding the Miami Heat, or in this case, national media in general, because I saw some pretty disturbing coverage last week after an ESPN reporter that I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show or watching this show know about, Mina Kimes, described San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo in less than flattering terms. And of course, Mina, being a woman, I think is a big part of why uh, she was attacked uh, pretty publicly by former NFL quarterback, former 49ers quarterback, Jeff Garcia, trashing her, talking about why anybody should pay attention to her and her opinion. And I have to say that is absolutely abhorrent. Uh, I think we've seen this even in our own coverage of the Miami Heat West, where people question whether or not we know the game and things of that sort, because we didn't play the game. And we've seen this even kind of trickle down through the inside the NBA uh, studio hosting, you know, uh, you, got, you have to have Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and, and Shaquille O'Neal, who, you know, neither of them deliver particularly poignant takes on this game. They don't seem to have any kind of key ob- observations to offer or anything like that. Their only real criteria for them being on the show is, well, they actually did play the game. And I have to say that that kind of opinion just really bothers the hell out of me because it's not, you know, I, I, you're not questioning my ability to play the game. You're right. I can't play the NBA. Mina can't play in the NFL and on and on. But that doesn't mean that we don't have valid opinions, that media members in general who might not ever have played the game at any kind of high level can't see something and report on it or observe what works or what doesn't. Now, I don't know anything about Garoppolo. I asked you before the show whether or not he was actually a good quarterback. I know a lot of 49ers fans seem to think that he's somewhere in between. Maybe he's not a great quarterback, and that's Tamina's point. She's absolutely correct then. But why are we questioning her because she doesn't know the game? Is it just is she an easy target just because she happens to be female? And personally, I just I really hate that kind of talk. Uh, female reporters in general, female media members have such a hard time, particularly trying to cover sports because their opinions are so often discredited. Uh, even when Ruth Riley Hunter took over for John Crotty as the play-by-play, or I'm sorry, the color analyst for the Miami Heat broadcast, she did a phenomenal job, and yet everybody was commenting on her voice or something along those lines, uh, ignoring 
the great quality content that she was putting out there, the, uh, her ability to analyze the game as a former player herself. So maybe we should take her a lot more seriously than a lot of female reporters, whether they play the game or not, because they have something to offer just like anybody else. But uh, anyway. No, I have a lot of I have a lot of gripes with uh, the media in general and how it works. Uh, I don't (laughs) I don't think I've made any secrets about that, but this is obviously one of the biggest problems with it. And when you're trying to diversify the media coverage, you know, if you want everybody to be, uh, you know, Bob Costas, and I'm not disrespecting (laughs) Bob, he does a great job. But if everybody if everybody is just supposed to look and sound and talk like Bob Costas, I think it would be a really boring media scene. Um, you need to diversify things and there's ways to go about it. I have, I think they're, I I don't think that they're going about it the right way either. I think certain people who look certain ways or sound certain ways or have certain amount of experience get pigeonholed into certain roles aren't allowed to expand. Right. Like I I don't, I, I just don't really see a lot of value in having, you know, the one female person sitting in the middle of a first take desk with one with a reporter somebody who came up traditional media on one side and and somebody who played in the nfl on one side screaming at each other and the woman can't get a a word in sideways and she's just there to basically play facilitator and she and she's kind of at a losing battle because both those guys are looking like jerks the entire time i I just have a lot of issues with the way that everything plays out Uh, but to the specific point of people like mina and things like that look you didn't have. You don't have to play the game to know the game. Does it help? Absolutely. Are there things former players can do that I don't? That I think anybody in tra- like that that people in traditional media can't do. Hundred yeah. percent. They have relationships with players that a journalist right. will never have. They know the game in a way that I don't think journalists will probably ever know the game. It doesn't mean that they don't. It doesn't mean that they know the game any better. They just know it differently and in a way that a traditional journalist can't know it. To the same point. A journalist, somebody who talks to people, reports, has boots on the ground, knows people, can put things into context, historically and and, and contemporary context. That's not something I see player ex-players now in the media doing very often because they are leaning back on what they know and their experiences, which I love to hear a good story from a former player in the media. Absolutely. But I also want to hear people like Mina who are so smart. And by the way, I love consuming the NBA. I also really like consuming the NFL. I, I will... I will listen to a thousand NBA podcasts and be just fine. I love listening to people talk about the NBA. I have a harder time listening to people talk about the NFL because I just don't think the product is as good as as far as the content covering the NFL. The right. only podcast that I can listen to uh, for a substantial like for for multiple episodes, multiple weeks in a row is Mina's NFL podcast. I think she does a tremendous job making it easy for dumb people like me to understand it <laughs> while also keeping it un- entertaining. That's a really hard thing to do. She's very, very good at her job. And there are a yeah. lot of people like her who are very good at their job that deserve more respect. Right. Now, I, look, I'll wrap it up with this. Zach Lowe or Kendrick Perkins, which one of our viewing audience thinks that they're a better analyst in the game right now? Like, Perk is fine as a former player. He certainly has loud opinions, and I think that's his role. But as far as the better opinion or the probably the more complete opinion, I think certainly yeah. – Low is leaps and bounds above what Perk can provide. But anyway, we'll wrap up our segment here and we'll talk a little bit about a problem that I think a lot of fans are concerned about, which is late game execution, maybe particularly from Jimmy Butler, because I think we've seen that Miami just lacks a clutch score. Like they they give up games when they have big leads. Uh, you know, we've seen teams come back on them, etc. You wonder whether or not it's just the right situation to go to Jimmy, etc. We've looked at some of the numbers here, and I, I think Wes, you have a, a pretty strong take mm-hmm. as to whether or not Jimmy Butler might be the best closer on this team. 
Well, I don't know who the best closer on this team is, but sure, right now, yeah. Jimmy Butler, 2.4 field goal attempts per game in the last five minutes of a game that's within five points. Uh, 2.4 field goal attempts per game, shooting 30.3% overall. He hasn't made a three in those situations all year long. He's only made like, what, 14 or 15 threes all season, so whatever. But yeah. um, Tyler Hero. People think that Tyler Hero should be getting the ball in those situations, but he hasn't fared all that much better. Just, again, 2.3 attempts per game in those situations, basically the same as Jimmy, uh, and only shooting 32.4% in those situations. He is shooting 39% from three-point range, which is much better than what Jimmy can do. But, look, people get hung up in the percentages and all that stuff. At the end of the day, it is such a small sample, and it is so hard to really justify any kind of conclusions from that. Lowry has been awesome in those situations. 53% on 1.3 field goal attempts in those situations. PJ Tucker is shooting 50% in those situations. Gabe Vincent is shooting 50% in those situations. Like whatever. That's awesome, yeah. but it's not enough to actually base a conclusion. There's a couple things at play here and I think we saw it play out against the Toronto Raptors over the weekend that you kind of just go to your main man. You go to your number one option. You go to your alpha, and that's Jimmy Butler. You just do it. Right. And it's a respect thing in the NBA, and that's what people don't really understand. You're like, you should have been going to Gabe Vincent since the end of regulation. I don't know. If you're drawing up a play, I don't – like, Gabe Vincent has been awesome. We've established that. But who has really earned your trust more over the years? No doubt it's Jimmy Butler and what he did right. in the bubble and every – you know, every game since then. What Tyler Hero has been able to do in terms of elevating his game I actually think Tyler Hero, people are wondering whether or not he should have been in the game late. He should have absolutely been in the game late. They got it to him a couple times. He had open looks. They didn't go in, but that's his job is to create shots. He's the best on the team at creating a shot for himself from anywhere on the floor. But Jimmy Butler is really damn good at it too. I have no problem with going to either of those guys, Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero. And by the way, the way it works on these plays, especially with the way that Eric Spolster draws up ATOs and late game situation plays and stuff, there's multiple options on one play. Jimmy, right. might, Jimmy might be your first option, and if Tyler's right. your second option, that's just fine. I have no problem with what they've done in these late-game situations. Right. They've just been a little unfortunate the way that they've ended for the Heat. Yeah, I know that he had a reputation, a well-earned reputation of being a clutch player, et cetera. We've seen moments like that from him in the past where he was able to get to the line or get that bucket. Yeah. Some of those just haven't fallen. Maybe it's because he was you know, struggling with his ankle on, on Saturday's game. Uh, maybe it's the fact that he played 50-plus minutes against the Toronto Raptors, et cetera. Uh, either way, I think to your point, he could have made a play to somebody else. I think we trust in Jimmy to find the right cutter. We've seen him do that during the regular season, during the first 48 minutes or 33 minutes yeah. of a game on a number of occasions, much to a lot of fans chagrin, right? That he he's right this close to the rim, much like Bam Adebayo, and he'll kick it out to PJ Tucker or somebody else, et cetera. I think that's certainly a part of Jimmy's game too. So if he had seen a better play out there, he would have made the quote unquote right play. The same criticism that LeBron James got on exactly. so many occasions. Yep. But uh, you know what? I think what we're kind of ignoring here as to why Gabe doesn't get the shot or Tyler doesn't get the shot is look, you said, you know, it's a respect situation here in terms of Jimmy Butler and everything he's done as an NBA veteran, his contract. That's just the way it works in the NBA. That's the way it always says. He's the highest paid yes. player on the team. He's a superstar of this team. He's the one that brought you here. He's going to get the ball in those situations. That's just it's the he, same he, reason why he gets to take the technical shots instead of Duncan Robinson when he's on the floor. It's just that's I will the way say it. I will say we probably could do a deeper dive of like Dwayne Wade's numbers. And so many people think about those big shots he took throughout his career. But the reality is I, I feel maybe I'm wrong. I feel like a lot of those were more often missed than made. And yet, who did you go to every time? 
Dwayne Wade, no question. Who are you going to? Chris Bosh? No. You're going to Dwayne Wade in those situations. That's just the way it's always been. The same thing was with Kobe and Michael Jordan. You look at their numbers. Like They didn't make it. Those are really hard situations. Those numbers. People think, oh, those numbers should look like the the regular numbers of balance of a game or a season. No. Those situations are much more more difficult. Defenses are keyed in in a way that they aren't. For the first 47 minutes of the game, and such, right. and and you're dealing not just with the, uh, a revved up defense, but also the clock is a factor as well. Right. It's just it, and so is fatigue, by the way. So those are really really <laughs> tough situations. The best right. you could do is have moments the way Jimmy Butler has moments, the way that Tyler yeah. Hero has moments. Um, the best you could do is have moments and earn that trust and just give your team the the best chance possible. Yeah, those those are the ones you remember. Those moments particularly, you remember the times that. Jordan hit the shots where he pushes off Byron Russell. You remember, this is my house when Dwayne Wade jumped to the table. You remember mm-hmm. Jimmy bent over in Orlando trying to be able to summon enough energy to continue to uh, put the Lakers away to some degree. You don't remember a January game against the Toronto Raptors that went into triple overtime where he didn't hit that layup in the waning seconds of the game. So, uh, you know what? We'll wrap it up here. I think he's going to continue to get the ball. He's going to continue to find opportunities and hopefully he will make the most of those. But that'll do it for today's show. Of course, we'll have our recap of the Boston Celtics following that game on Monday night. So make sure you subscribe to get that kind of content every day to make sure to continue making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. To make your second listen, you should go to Locked on Bets, your daily one stop shop for all of your gambling needs signing off for now thanks so much for joining me wrap it up b